I'm going to ask you, if you would, to keep Becky in prayer and her family. I um, Becky is with her father. Uh, Pastor Stewart is getting ready to slip into heaven at any time. And um, such a joy to, to be with him for a little bit this week. And he's cogent. He can hear you. He's thinking. It's just very difficult for him to respond. Um, he's always loved <coughs> prophecy. <coughs> I forget what this thing is at. Sorry. He's always loved prophecy, and um, he wanted to know about the series on Revelation. Thank you, Kristen. He was asking me about that, and we were talking and talking about pastoring. And can't eat right now, but he can. He can't really drink, so we're feeding him fruit sickles and popsicles and things like that. And, and you know how it is. You you want to stay strong, and, and while you're there with them, and and you want to be careful. And I've done this with so many people over the years, but that mischievous side about my father-in-law that uh, is still there. I was feeding him a fruit sickle. Is that good? He goes, oh yeah. And he's licking his lips and gets it down. And, and then he claps down on the stick. And I said, and I, you know, I didn't know what was going on in his head. I said, tried to pull it. I said, Pop, let go. I said, Pop, you got to let go. Let me have it. And he starts laughing. And we have this little tug of war going on. And I, when I realize he's playing and this big smile just breaks out on his face. And I love him so much, especially for him, Francis, for the daughter they gave me as my wife. Becky sat with him all night last night, and uh, she texted me during the first service to say she was headed to bed. But she says, last night I was helping Daddy write sermons. You guessed it, on the book of Revelation. He was asking her for things, and then one time he was angry with someone named Jack because they wanted him to go running with them. He kept saying, I don't like running. And I think I'm Jack because I used to try to get him to go running with me all the time. And he just made it real clear to me one day. He says, son, I'm not made to run, so don't mention it anymore. I, I remember what I said, okay. <laughs> but I pray for Becky and her family. I want to talk to you this morning following up on last week's message. And by the way, thanks all of our volunteers last week. You know, we had, over the weekend, we had um, over 1,400 people here on this campus. We had over, if I got the numbers correctly from the staff, we had over 600 in attendance just in our weekend services here. So can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, We had over a hundred volunteers working last week, besides all of you that were doing inviting and encouraging people. And that's what makes a church happen, is when people just pull together, like that little children's church song says, and I'm so proud of you. But last year when I was working on my sermon calendar and thinking about Easter, one of the things that hit me in my thought process was that God has given us a really important part of our thinking that's supposed to be transformed, according to the book of Romans, called imagination. And 
the song I can only imagine has just been one of those songs that always gripped my heart. Tony Hankins, I'll never forget when Tony did a drama here on the stage for us, one of our students. And he came out of that wheelchair in heaven. And uh, as someone who spent a great deal of my early years in a wheelchair, I just, that just resonated with me. And our imagination is, it's more, as I hope to show you from the script, it's more than what most people think about our imagination being. As I kept praying and thinking and writing, and sometimes just writing and doodling while I'm praying helps me to pray clearer, I thought, what would happen if we just not imagined heaven, and if we just not maybe imagined the parables, but if we imagined resurrection power in our lives, the power of God that dwells in us today. I mean, Haley's song was so full of imagination just now that she sang. And let me see, because a lot of people don't think they have imagination. We've mystified imagination, but that's only for the creative, artistic type of people. I'm not a mystical person. I'm not, I do a decent stick drawing. They're not the best. You've seen those up here. But um, I'm not an artist, but we all have imagination. So let me ask you a question. What did you have for dinner last night? Somebody tell me, what did you have? Pasta? Steak? Who had steak? Oh, man. Anybody have fried chicken? <laughs> Southern omelet. Uh, well, I was in an airport last night, and um, my flight got canceled, and so I had to fly through Dallas home, and, and uh, I was hungry. I hadn't eaten all day, and as soon as I got off the plane, I thought, I'm going to find a Chick-fil-A. Dallas, Texas is going to have a Chick-fil-A, you know, and the line, as it always is, at Chick-fil-A reached to heaven itself. You know, that's God's chicken. You know that, don't you? And so... I was like, I don't have time for that line. And I saw this little restaurant called Dickie's Barbecue. And I thought, barbecue. I could imagine it. And then I thought, airport food is never good unless it's Chick-fil-A. And so I went over to Dickie's and I said, do you have beef brisket? And they go, oh, yeah. I said, I want a barbecue beef brisket sandwich. And I got some jalapeno beans to go alongside of it. And I really wasn't expecting much, but I went out and I sat down and, oh, heaven. I mean, it was real barbecue. You know, y'all unfortunately don't understand that. Y'all think a hamburger and a hot dog is a barbecue. Barbecue's got to be out there all night long and smothered in sauce, you know. It's got to be a whole hog or a cow or something, but I ate it. I licked my feet. I shook all your hands and I just licked my fingers, you know. I licked my fingers. It was so good. I did something I've never done. I went over to Dickie's Barbecue and I said, I need to speak to the manager. And everybody froze. You know how that goes. <laughs> Came out and I said, sir, I hate airport food, but this is absolutely the best airport food I ever had in my life. I want to say thank you. I'm going to write about you on my blog. This, and people started clapping, you know. The guy was smiling. And this one man looked at me, big. You know, everything's big in Texas. You know that, don't you? 
He says, son, when I, I'm 63 years old. I'm probably older than him. He says, son, whenever I'm in Dallas, I eat at Dickie's Barbecue. You won't find none better. And I just, just a good feeling. But that's imagination. Wasn't expecting much. I got something good. You remembered what you had. You had steak. You had an omelet. Somebody else had pasta. I heard over here. You were remembering. That's your imagination. Your imagination is at work. Tonight at 6 o'clock, I will do what I always do. I'm pretty predictable. I'll sit down at 6 o'clock. I'll plan out my week ahead. I'll review the week that's just passed, write down all the notes that I need to make, notes from today's service. And y'all are always telling me stuff at the door, and I ask you, please email me or text me. And I know if it's important, because you'll email me or text me, but then the ones I can remember that I promise to pray for, I'll write all that down tonight at 6 o'clock, and then Becky and I compare our schedules, and we know what the, we're imagining the week. And we do that every week consistently. You use your imagination all the time. I'm going to give you one that I'm sure is going to come to your mind. How many of you know who the little dog is sitting on top of a doghouse with a typewriter? And what's he typing? It was a dark and stormy night. You know, that's your imagination. You're recreating that. You see that. If, you, if you've ever been in a orange orchard when the orange trees are blooming right now your mind is bringing back one of the most heavenly fragrances that's your imagination at work you see whether or not you think you have imagination you do if i tell you think of a tree have you thought of a tree not your head thought of it. and you say well i don't have imagination anybody can think about a tree think about a tree with blue leaves do you see it that's your imagination at work. You see, imagination is part of the image of God that is put inside of us. When we were created in the image of God, you've got to remember that everything, a hundred billion galaxies were formed. The planets from the vapor of his word that Haley just sang about. Long before anything existed, God imagined it. And then when he spoke, it happened. When she sang about dying on that hill in my mind I went boom right back to Jerusalem right back to Mount Calvary and I can see it clearly in my mind you have a vision in your mind of what Mount Calvary was all about because you may have seen it in a picture Bible you may have googled it on the internet to look it up but there's an image it, it's imagination and I want to talk to you about that because it's a God-given gift. I'm not going to deal with this new age nonsense of imagination that if you imagine good things, good things are going to happen to you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the use of your imagination. Because we've always been taught in science that basically our mind is made up of intellect, which is reason, emotions, which is our feelings, and then our will, which is our decisions. But long before intellect and reason and emotions take place, the imagination is at work for the decision or the will of what we're going to do, whether that's good or whether that's bad. Long before we get emotional about something, images pop up subconsciously or consciously in our minds. You see, we use our imaginations all the time. 
And I think because we've neglected that and we've delegated that to the artist, then we have really missed what God wants us to be able to imagine. Not just about heaven. Not just about being set free and every tear being wiped away. Or the cripple getting out of the wheelchair. But imagining the resurrection power of God at work in your marriage, in your career, in your life, in your decisions, in your emotions. Imagining the power of Christ that dwells in you today and what God wants to do in your life. Can you say amen? Well, stand with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. I love you, Jesus, with all of my heart. And I thank you for those who down through time have blessed us with the gift of sanctified imaginations. Lord, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you that even to read the book of Revelation, that great final book of the Bible, God, we have to use our imaginations. I thank you, Jesus, that for every person in here, they can realize today their imagination. God is a part of your image in them. It makes them different from all the rest of the animals. And I ask you right now, may we imagine the glory of God hovering over this place. May we imagine the love of the Father extended to us to help us to think, to live, and to act the power of God yourself that you've made available to us resurrection power for it's in Jesus name I pray and everyone said amen God bless you you can be seated this morning sometimes when I tell a story I'm worried about appearing to be the hero of my own stories and that's not at all what I'm trying to do and those of you that know me I believe that you know that but this week I had an opportunity to experience the power of a powerful imagination at work in a negative way, in a positive way. And I want to tell you the story only so that you can see and, and understand how important this really is. I was in a place of business and the mother was obviously harried and frustrated and she was angry at her little boy. and. He's just, he's just a munchkin. I mean, he's a little bambino. He's no bigger than this and can't talk. He's just still in that stage where he's just happy, happy, happy. And mama is angry, angry, angry. And, and she slaps him right on top of the head. Tells him if he don't shut up, she's going to give him a knuckle sandwich. And uh, my heart broke because the tears came out of that little boy's face. And... And I really don't know what happened. It's not what I would normally do because of the culture that we live in now as far as abuse and perversion and things of that nature. But I immediately dropped to my knees and I said, hey, buddy. And those tears immediately went to a smile. And he had a little ball with these little things sticking out that shook, you know, like this. And he tossed it to me. And I caught it and she didn't seem to mind. He was occupied and she was taking care of business. So I played with and he was laughing and we rolled the ball on the floor. We tossed it and he was just laughing and just, you know, in his level, just right down in his level, playing with him and the smile and the laughter on his face. And 
I just realized, you know, every child needs to be loved, and every child needs someone to just touch them and care for them. And um, she turned around, and I, and I said, he is such a cute little guy. You did a great job. He's a beautiful baby. She says, oh, he's a little devil is what he is. And I just cringed inside, and I walked away, and, and he grabbed my leg and hugged me. I just totally slew me right there, you know, just, you kind of lose it right there, and you want to pick him up and carry him with you, and I walk away, and I hear her in the background one more time, she says, shut up, I'm going to give you a knuckle sandwich if you're not quiet, and I have found myself weeping, even in the first service, remembering that child, praying a the spirit of grace and protection over him because right now his imagination is being shaped and being formed. A little guy looking for love and attention and affection. How you use your imagination and respond to your children teaches them a lot about God. Long before Becky and I became pastors, we served the church as children's pastors, pastors and youth pastors. And one of the things we used to talk about when parents would come to pick up their children, you could always tell the children that lived in a threatening household because when a dad would reach out the hand, the kid would snatch back or flinch, or the mother would reach out her hand, the kid would flinch, and you knew something was going on. And long before Andrew was born, we made a commitment and a decision that we never wanted our hands associated with anything that would bring our kids pain, but we wanted our hands associated with love and acceptance. We talked about those things. This reason we never used our hands to, to spank our children or anything of that nature. It's why you've heard Becky tell the story about Sam, you know. One side had a happy face, one side had a sad face. You got to choose. Were you going to make Sam happy or were you going to make Sam sad? But it wasn't our hands hands because we would see those children flinch. Your hand as a father, your hand as a husband, your hand as a mother. Our hand should be a safe place that our children want to come later ahead. So I know there are times when our children were growing up, they would take my hand and just lay it up beside their face. And I've seen your children do that here where your children come up and they grab your hand and they'll pull it up. There's something about our hands that we imagine with the love and the acceptance and the grace of God. You see, God's gift of imagination allows me to relive my past. It allows me to envision my future, and it allows me to live hopefully in the present. You can put that up. God's gift of imagination allows me to relive the past, envision the future, and live hopefully in the present. And those are three very pregnant phrases that I hope to unpack in this message this morning. Because for some of you, reliving your past is something you don't want to do. For some of you, envisioning your future, you've given up hope on your future. You've given up hope on yourself or maybe hope enough on your dream. And for some of you, you need to understand that the biblical word of is not like the word wishing today that maybe it's a 50-50 lottery, but the word hope in the Bible is an assurance of what God is going to do in our presence. Tony Rinke in a book that I would recommend to you called Lit. Tony, is a, it's a book about reading. Tony writes these words. He says, to imagine is to picture things in your mind. It's the ability to see things in your mind that you cannot immediately see with your eyes. Look at that again. It's 
picture things in your mind. We, we think in pictures. When I said imagine a tree, imagine a tree with blue leaves, boom, you were able to do that. When I ask you, what did you eat last night? Boom, you were immediately able to remember what you had for dinner last night. And you also remembered whether it was good. And if you're sitting next to your wife, this is the one time you have permission to lie. Look at her and say, honey, that was delicious last night. You know, I'm not encouraging you to lie, but the thing is, is that, you know, you just, you remember what was good. But you, Tony says, it's the ability to see things in your mind that you can't see with your eyes. And that's how God defines faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. It's, a, it's an imagination. It's, it's how God designed us to be able to think and to plan and to progress. The problem is, is that when human beings sinned, our imagination was damaged by the fall. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, and you're thinking autumn and pretty leaves, theologically, what, what theologians refer to as the fall is when human beings chose to sin against God. And when they chose to sin against God, man fell from the estate or the place or the position that God had made him where he could live in the presence of God and walk and talk with God. And, and I don't have time to unpack all of that, but if you want to know more, I'll be happy to to talk with you about that. I do that every month when, we, when I teach Discovering Woodland and are typically on the first Sunday of the month. But Paul says this. He des describes it like this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And the word vain there means senseless or useless, foolish, they became vain in their imagination. So rather than their imaginations being productive and prosperous and being something to be beautiful with, they became, their imaginations became foolish. They became senseless. They were unproductive. Matter of fact, they were damaged. Their imaginations were futile and their foolish heart was darkened. In the book of Jeremiah, six times, Jeremiah speaks of damaged imagination and the harm and the ill that it brings to others. Ten times in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of damaged imaginations where people have imagined the wrong things about God and the wrong things about life in the Holy Spirit. And so we have to come to terms with the fact that all of us, our imaginations have been damaged in some way by the fall. And that's why it is so important for us to grasp what Easter means, not just for the forgiveness of our sins and for our redemption and our salvation that we looked at last week, but it's also important for us to recognize what resurrection power lives inside of us and what we can do with that. The scripture teaches us that God sanctifies our imagination so that we can overcome sin and get beyond what we can't forget. Scripture teaches us that God sanctifies. Sanctifies means to purify, to cleanse. If I get my shirt dirty, I, I keep extra shirts in my study here at the church because sometimes in the first service I might get sweaty or something of that nature. And so I'll change my undershirt and I'll change my shirt so that I'm not offensive to you and you go home with a vain imagination about me if you shake my hand or hug my neck after the service. 
You know, it's why somebody always gives me breath mints at the back of the door because if you fall down, I want it to be under the power of God and not from the power of halitosis. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it's, it's key to me. Those things are, are important to me. So when I get home, that shirt is washed with whatever Becky and Amy use to wash it. Look, I know they use a machine, so it'll be a smart outlet, but whatever detergent they use, it's washed, it's cleansed, it's sanctified, it's clean again. There are times when I get home from a day of ministry and I may have had to deal with all sorts of things, sometimes things I could never even speak about publicly that I've heard, I've dealt with, I've seen, and I get home and I go to my study and I get down on my knees and I open up my Bible and I read some scripture and I pray and I worship. Sometimes I, I just pop on a worship mix that I keep in my study at home and let it play through the speakers. What am I doing? I'm washing my mind. I'm allowing God to sanctify my thoughts and purify my thoughts from the things that I, I've seen or heard or had to deal with or listen to. God sanctifies it so I can overcome sin. God sanctifies my imagination so that I can see myself as more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And I love the way Paul wrote that. You're more than a conqueror. I mean, in the Word of God's opinion, it's not enough for you to be a conqueror. He wants you to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to live as a king and a prophet and a priest in the glory and the honor of the Lord. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That all has to do with dominion and power. But it also helps me get beyond what I can't forget. And some of us have been sinned against in ways that we can't forget, but we can get beyond it. It's like the child who's flinches when their father's hand reaches out to them. It's difficult for me to tell that child, God is like your father. Because when they see a father like that, he's an abusive father, he's an angry father, he's typically a father that says, and cruel, unkind and cruel things to them. And, and so I have to help them imagine what a good father is like and how God shows us he's father. And I walk through those things with students. Sometimes I walk through that with adults. And sometimes I say, well, your, your dad, and I did this just a few years ago. I took a man right down here to the cemetery, right down here at the end of Van Horn. And I said, we're going to go to your parents' grave and we're just going to pray that God will help you to release this. And he forgave and we prayed some scriptures and though his dad couldn't hear us and though there was nobody around, God set him free just through the power. He was sanctified of those thoughts. And though he doesn't live here now, he lives in another part of our state, he still communicates with me about the power of that moment where God helped him to get beyond what he will never forget, the abuse that happened. You see, there are some things that happen to you, you will never forget them. Fragrance, a smell, a song, something that happens. He will always bring it back. But God can help you get beyond that. God can help you move beyond that. So it doesn't become a weight and it doesn't hold you down. God can help you to forgive even for people who have already died. God can help you to release that so you're not carrying it like a burden on your back, but you are set free to live as a man or the woman that God has created you to be. That's the will and the purpose of God. It's why God says to us and why Jesus warned us about fantasies about illicit sex, for instance, because it stirs up 
the sinful nature of our heart, even if we never act upon them, it stirs up desires in us and creates imaginations that begin to separate us from the wife or the husband we should love because we have allowed our minds and our imaginations to become senseless and foolish and it darkens them. And that's why Jesus said that even though you may have never acted upon it, you've still committed this sin in your heart. It's why we forgive rather than hate. It's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, we capture these rebellious thoughts and teach them obey Christ. Teach them to obey Christ. And so sometimes I will get down on my knees if my heart has been stirred in a wrong way and I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I am going to obey you in my thought life. Sometimes when you're tempted to take a shortcut you know you shouldn't take, Father, I'm going to tell my, I'm going to obey Christ. You see, there's power in that in God's word is sanctifying your thoughts. Now, to help you see this, I want to take you through a little exercise. It's a little different than what we normally do, but I've taken the next passage of scripture and divided it up into slides for you because I want you to see how important this is. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 3. Paul's writing to this group of Christians and they're concerned about meat that has been offered to idols. Paul tells them that even though this meat, to sell it in the marketplace, it had to be offered to these different idols. There were some to Caesar, there were some to Diana, and they, they, they offered them. Paul says, they are not gods. They can offer them all they want, but they are not gods. So you go in there, you buy that meat, you take that steak home, you grill that steak, and you give God thanks for creating that cow. You give God thanks for that steak is on your plate. You sanctify it, is what one version says. You sanctify it, you're doing it with the Word of God, and then you eat that steak and you enjoy that steak. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. I mean... I go to Kroger, I don't ask them, you know, you know, what kind of stock are you invested in or this or that or the other. I buy a steak, I take it home, I grill it, I give God thanks for it, I thank him for the farmer that grew it, I thank him for the cow that, that, that had this nice marbled piece of meat that I get to enjoy, I thank him there's going to be better than this in heaven, and I thank him that he has blessed us, and then we devour that meal with joy, we've sanctified it, that's why it's still important to ask the blessing over your food, your sanctifying it. So Paul picks up with this thought. He says, now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. The knowledge is what I just shared with you. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Now stop. What's he saying? Imagine this. There are some people in that church who cause us to know this. They consider themselves superior to those who don't know what they don't know because they still won't eat meat because they don't know what they know. And rather than acting towards them in love and teaching them, they feel superior. There were some people in that church, they felt superior to others because Peter had baptized them. No dinky apostle Paul baptized me. It was Peter that baptized me. They felt superior. There were some because they spoke in tongues, they felt superior. Boy, Paul... When you read first, it's like he just keeps building and building and he's getting ready to land a haymaker on them right here, you know? And he says, 
Knowledge makes us feel important. If you know your King James Version, it says, knowledge puffeth up. What's that mean? It means it makes you kind of swell. It makes you feel big. It makes you feel you know more. We had these puff adders at home that would get into the gardens and the flower beds. And they were harmless little things. You could pick them up. But when you saw them, they hiss and they blow their heads up and they get twice as big. Like They look like a rattlesnake. Big old head, but they were harmless. And you just pick that little serpent up. I like that word serpent, don't you? It kind of sounds better than snake. They pick that serpent up and most of the time we just throw them over in the field. You know, they were harmless and they ate little mice and rats and stuff like that. But you just got rid of them. You see, he was harmless. And the powers of hell are harmless against you. But because you know that, it doesn't make you superior to anybody else. It makes you blessed. Okay, so let's go to the next verse. He said, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. The older I get, I feel more like Samuel Clemens. I wish I knew as much as I did when I was 20 years old. You know, when I was 20, I thought I knew everything, didn't you? But you come to this place in life where uh, suddenly you're just, you find yourself, there's still so many questions and so many answers to discover. Third, he says, the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. In other words, Ron, you love God, don't you? And because you love God, God loves you, he knows you, and God recognizes you. What he is saying is, when you love other people, there is an intimacy between you and God that is not possible for those who know a lot about the Bible, for those who know a lot about theology. They may do the right thing, say the right thing, but the important thing, the really important thing, is loving God and loving people. And doesn't that sound just like Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as let's give him another hand of praise this morning so what you have just done there is you have imagined and you have meditated upon the word of the Lord look at your neighbor and said that felt good this morning oh you done that didn't sound like it very good at all. look at your neighbor and say that felt good this morning because some of you you've never meditated before you know when you think of meditation you think about with a long hair and a long beard and a fat belly staring at his navel going, mm. that's not meditation. That's ridiculous. That's vain, senseless imaginations. I'm going to get emailed that one this week after it goes out on the internet. <laughs> Thirdly, God sanctifies and uses my imagination to grow me in grace for the present. Now, what does that mean, grow me in grace? God wants you to give you more than what you've experienced so far. I really, and, and I say this with compassion, this is the best time of life ever. In my, we talk about this. I mean, I was telling Becky, we, after sitting with her daddy the other night, and I just looked at her before I left. I said, honey, you and I need to recognize something. The next 20 years are going to go by like that. They're going to go by like that. I said, it's very possible, you know, unless the prevenient grace of God has a different plan for my life, I could be right there 20 years. You could be right there. We need to make the most of every moment in this life together. 
And the wonderful thing is we've grown up together. We've been married all these years together. We're discovering a part of life that only comes from the seasoning and the aging process that takes place where we've discovered. I used to think at 60, you couldn't possibly be having any more fun in life. He goes, you were dried up, old, and useless. I got to tell you something. If I'd have known it was this good, I'd have been trying to get older quicker. <laughs> because life is wonderful. It's exciting. It's vibrant. What is it? It's grace. Drugs haven't ruined our lives. Pornography hasn't ruined our lives. Sin hasn't ruined our life. Unfaithfulness hasn't ruined our lives. But God's goodness and grace and his peace and his joy and the power of his Holy Spirit has added years and strength. God gives us what we don't deserve. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. And that's grace, my dear brothers and sisters. For God causes your life to go from greater, greater, from greater fruitfulness to even greater fruitfulness to even greater fruitfulness, from your dreams increasing. My dreams are still growing, increasing in size. But it's all been a part of our imaginations. Recently, I was in prayer about some things. And I was praying about those things, and in my mind, I said, Lord, I can see them so clearly. I'm not a mystical person, but I can see them. People that I'm praying for to be born again. The revival that I believe God wants to send to downriver into the metro area. Last night on the plane, because my flight had been canceled, and I had a really good seat on the canceled flight. Do you know it was supposed to snow last night? And that messed up somehow or another, they said, with the flight. So they bumped me up and to another flight. Don't ever sit by the bathrooms. <laughs> Don't ever, ever sit by the bathrooms. Because strange people sit by the bathrooms. And people congregate around the bathrooms. And I had to sit next to the window, and I hate sitting next to the window. And I hate sitting next to the bathroom. And I hate sitting next to a person that wants to talk when I just want to be left alone. It was the best of times and the worst of times. And here I was sitting like this in this scrunched up seat and, and I'm trying to get some work done so I'm not frustrated. I'm, I'm riding and I keep bumping and I finally, I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. I don't mean to touch you. Oh, it's okay. You can touch me all you want. I go, Jesus, that was the wrong thing. And uh, she turned out, she, she's coming here from a city out west, and so she starts asking me about Michigan, and she tells me all the bad things that she's heard. It's her first time to Michigan. She's from California. And I thought, you're telling me bad things about Michigan, and you're from the granola state, fruits, nuts, and flakes, you know? But anyway, <laughs> and I started telling her about Michigan. She said, well, I've never heard that. I started telling her about all the wonderful things about Michigan. She said, did you grow up in Michigan? I said, no, I'm from Georgia. Now, there really is the land of promise right there. And uh, so I pull out my iPad and I'm showing her pictures of, of our marriage retreat that we do. I said, this is what the fall looks like. I said, this is my wife. This is some of the couples from our church. And she goes, oh, that looks just like New England. That was imagination at work in her heart. I said, let me show you another pretty little town. And I said, see if it doesn't remind you of a city outside of Oakland that's a real artsy community, the community of Sausalito. So I pull up a picture of Traverse City 
And she goes, oh, that looks like Sausalitos. It's imagination at work. And so I'm showing her all these pictures, and I said, now I have to be honest with you. When I moved to Michigan, they told me that I was moving to the banana belt of Michigan. I said, but what they didn't tell me was, it only looks like this three months out of the year. <laughs> and then I started showing her pictures of the snow and things of that nature. But her imagination was at work because all she knew about our state was crime statistics and murder. And, and then I showed her pictures of the Q train in downtown Detroit. Her imagination was appealing to her. Then she finally asked the question. She goes, well, what do you do? I says, and I start telling her about you. I've told her about the pastor of a church. I start telling her about our congregation. She goes, I've never heard anything like this. That's because you're from San Francisco. Anyway, <clears throat> pray for San Francisco. We only need, we need some strong churches there. So let's pray. So I'm telling her all about it. And, and so I end up enjoying the conversation and talk with her from Dallas, Texas, all the way to Detroit, Michigan, about started with this about the Lord and ministry and life and what it was all about. And by the bathrooms where everybody's looking down on us and every time that door opens, it's like the stench of hell coming out. And I, you know, I refer to that one time. I said, you see, there really is a real hell and it is a foul, foul place. Everybody's laughing. You know, I have a congregation and Southwest Airlines is paying for all of it. So what I'm saying is your imagination is a gift. Use your imagination. T.S. Eliot, whom many of you have read, and T.S. Eliot was an atheist. He didn't want to believe in God, but it was through the gift of fiction that undid his thoughts of atheism. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who didn't want to believe in God, but it was through fiction that it unlocked his thoughts and helped him to see. Read to your children at this young age. Don't give them knuckle sandwiches. Don't be beating them on the head, but read to them the word of the Lord and stimulate their imagination because God wants to grow your children in grace, your marriage in grace, and God wants to take you to heaven in grace so that you're having the kind of conversations with your father that Becky is having with her dad right now. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. That's the power of the word. When God captures your imagination, you may want to turn me down a little bit. When God captures your imaginations, he's got your mind, he's got your understanding, he's got your will. That's the reason the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Read it with me, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. One more time. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Circle those three words. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Now imagine what good and pleasing and perfect is. Go through the Bible and look at all the times where God says something is good. When God created the heavens, it's good. When by the vapor of his breath, the planets were created, it's good. But when God created you, God says, now that's very good. When you were just a little bitty spark of life in your mother's womb, God knew you before the foundation of the world. He had your life plan and he looked at you and he says, Dan, you're very good. Now your mama may not have told you that. I'm sure she did. But God says, Dan, you're very, he delights in you. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God dances over us. I mean, I can't dance, but I can just, God, that's my kid right there. You know, he delights in you. He reaches Go through the Bible and see what's pleasing to God. And I'll guarantee you what you find pleasing to God will be pleasing to you. And go through the Bible and that word perfect needs to fulfill its purpose. And you will begin to understand the power and the gift of your imagination. One more time. Let me take you to this exercise. One more time because I want you to grow in this. And to do this, I've taken the first three verses of Psalms chapter 1. All the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked stand around with sinners or join with mockers. Now let's just imagine that. Joy. I don't know what makes you happy, what floats your boat. For some of us, it's different things. But God says the joy for people who don't follow the advice of wicked people. People who tell you life doesn't matter. People, as one Democratic politician told me, he said, you know, he says, I vote straight pro-life on everything. He said, I know that's held my career back. But he says, I refuse to follow the advice of wicked people. That's from one of our local politicians. I think we ought to give the Lord a hand of praise for men and women of conviction like that. <laughs> Secondly, they don't stand around with sinners. I mean, they don't hang out with people who want to rebel against God. They want to do life with people who love God. That's why your small groups are so important and why it's important. I'm so proud of Christopher. I didn't know this, but Chris is leading a small group now. And I just thank God for the influence that Pastor Rick and Norma have had on his life and teaching him how to do a small group and to realize that my son, Chris, is leading, little shy Chris is leading a small group and growing in that. And, and so you need a church family, but you need a small family within the church, like small groups. Uh, don't join in with people who mock the things of God and scorn the things. So you imagine that. God says joy just simply for not following that. The second verse, he gives you the counterpoint to that. He says, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Now, I, I love this verse because what brings delight to you? I, I think when C.S. Lewis wrote his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children's book, you know, remember what the wicked witch wanted to give to Edmund to get him to turn against his brothers and sister his brother and sisters and to join her she gave him Turkish delight yeah some of you read the book you see when you delight in the Lord the Bible says when you delight in the Lord he will give you the desires of your heart now that doesn't mean what some people thinks it means it doesn't mean that God's going to suddenly drop a Mercedes Benz or a mansion in California. It means God's going to begin to put the right desires. Because life does not consist of Mercedes Benz and mansions. Life consists of loving God and loving people. Okay? And, but let's go on. They meditate. That, that's what I'm teaching you. They think on it day and night. Now, quickly, because I'm running out of time, they are like trees planted along the riverbank. Bearing fruit each season, their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. In this fallen world, remember I talked about the fall earlier, in this fallen world, we don't know. Trees go to sleep, winter comes, freezes. Lewis used that powerfully. Winter, always winter, but Christmas never came. If you've read the book, you remember. The curse was winter, always winter. But Christmas never came. 
And in the bleakest part of the year, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And when God comes, God came so that you would be fruitful. And long after you breathe your last, look at me, we just celebrated your mother's life, Faith. And long after your mother is gone and you and I are gone and people have forgotten our names, the fruit of her life will continue because God will answer her prayer. He wants us to have fruit that remains. That's what Jesus said about our lives. He wants us to have fruit. Long after people forget my name, long after people forget Becky's father's name, and Becky and I have been forgotten, the ministry that Pastor Stewart has had of discipling people and pastoring people and loving people and leading people to Christ, the fruit of that will go on in their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And one day, all to the glory of God, it will resound forever and ever. Doesn't that just thrill you this morning? What you do in this life matters. Our names may not be remembered, but our fruit will remain as we serve God together. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! That's imagination at work. Well, I'm wrapping up. Lisa, Mark, whoever, somebody come up here and help me. God encourages me to look to the future. Look to the future. Look forward to the future with my imagination. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. I love seeing the artwork that have inspired artists, that inspired artists have tried to paint on this verse. Because I can imagine a lot. I can imagine because I remember the past. Sometimes I dream about it. Sometimes I wake up after those dreams and I say, Lord, I thank you. It's not the way it used to be. I thank you for what is now. But don't ever let me forget so I can communicate with passion and persuasion, but above all, love. Sometimes I'll just be driving down the road and my imagination just goes to work on the future. And there may be an obstacle, there may be a challenge, but I imagine what the Father must be doing. I've lived that. God, you could do it all. You could do it all just like that. But no seminary ever taught me what the Lord taught me that day running up a hill in the rain. Everybody has to be obedient. It's not that God can't, but we're in this thing together. Amen? God then uses imagination so that I can grow today. I don't have to wake up and go, oh, it's just another day. I'm growing today. Haley, you'll never know what you did for me, honey, when you sang that song this morning. It pierced my heart in so many ways. I've grown just from people I talk to after the first service and I know I'll grow after talking with you. So here's what I'd like you to do with this this week. This is your growth work. Number one, 
Use your imagination to glorify God. If you need some suggestions to help with that, email me, text me. Number two, where is your imagination held captive? And it needs redeeming. Maybe you've been stirring up some things in your mind through fear. If you allow fear to control your heart, it'll agitate your fallen nature. You can't live this life on your own. You can't, I can't be a Christian by myself. I'm not good enough. And don't look at me so pious because you're not good enough either. This is a supernatural life. You can't, if you could do it on your own, Christ wouldn't have needed to come to Calvary. You need God's grace to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need Him to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Last week I shared with you in the Easter message the redemption, that's when God broke the power of sin that controls our life. Forgiveness is when God erased all of our past. And I used the little illustration of the little pads we used as children. We lifted up the cellophane and everything was erased. God can redeem your imagination. The third thing is, imagine putting off your old nature and putting on your new nature in Christ. It's why I have those shirts that I mentioned in my office. I'll go in there sometimes before I'll go back to say hi to anybody and to get ready to service. I'll rip off my coat. I'll rip off the shirt, the undershirt, throw it right there on the floor, grab a fresh shirt after I freshen up a little bit. What I'm doing, I'm putting off the old sweaty, stinky shirt so I won't be offensive. And I put on a fresh shirt. I brush my teeth. I'm putting on the new again. Do you see what I'm saying? God, that's our imagination. Paul says, imagine you putting off that old nature. You say, that's not me. Of course it's not you. But it's you in Christ. It's not me. Of course it's not you. But it's what you can be in Christ. It's why you can't live this life on your own. It's your new nature in Christ. Your old nature, your new nature in Christ. Say that with me. In Christ. This coat and this shirt and these pants, they move because I'm in them. My new nature is alive because I'm in Christ. Without Christ, I am just a heap of nothingness. My imaginations are vain. But through Christ, all things are possible this morning. Do you get it? Do you get it? So go home and imagine that. Read Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And then finally, imagine the presence of Jesus with you. You just imagine it. What it must it be like, your friend, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus, with you? I just recently taught on this in our series on the midweek services on Revelation. Look at Revelation 5, 5 through 6 with me. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb. Same person. Jesus. 
You saw a lion. He saw a lamb. See it? The lion and the lamb. If you've ever been to Africa and heard a lion roar, it'll chill your blood, honey. That lion, roar! Creatures dive under the ground. Animals begin to run. You thank God for a big Jeep you're riding in. You see, when Satan comes against you with those fearful thoughts, the lion runs in and says, get away from her. She's my daughter. That's the lion. You find yourself struggling, feeling worthless. Christ comes to you and says, I love you. All is forgiven. That's the lamb. That's the lamb. You're dating somebody. You're dating. He's a good-looking guy. He got a shaggy mane. He's domineering. He's abusive. He's telling you why you're no good. His name is Scar. And the Lion of Judah sees that. And he comes running and he get away from her score. I'll tell you of hearts. You know I'm telling you the truth. You saw the movie. My daddy was a lion and a lamb. This boy pulled up in a pickup truck. I didn't know him. He blew his horn. Dave and I stepped out of the barn. He says, uh-uh, I'm like Simba. I'm walking with the king. What you going to do? What you going to do? <laughs> Daddy walks up and says, can I help you? That big old studly boy said, I'm here to pick up Teresa. Daddy says, no, you ain't. He says, yes, I am. My dad's finger came up in his face, looking up in that truck, said, boy, if you don't back that truck up out of here, I'm going to pull you out of that truck, and I am going to beat your butt. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I looked at him. I'm somebody. I go, you better listen to him. <laughs> he backs out of the driveway. My sister comes out. She says, Daddy, what did you do? He said, Teresa, that boy's no good. He'll hurt you. He's had other girls in this settlement. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought to. He's no good for you. He's being the lion. But there was never a time when my daddy raised his hand that we flinched from him. Some of my last memories are seeing Teresa take my daddy's hand and lay it right up against her face. Because my daddy's hands could be hard and tender. He was a lion and a lamb. And I want you to use your imagination. I'm exhausted. But you gotta use your imagination. You gotta see God as the lion in your life, protecting you from the scars of this world. You've gotta see him as the lamb who gave his life for your sins. Daddies, especially you, you have got to be a lion for your family. 
you have got to speak up when it's time to speak up. You've got to act when it's time to act for your family. You've got to protect the lambs that God has given to you. Those babies on this platform and those babies in that nursery, they are lambs. Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. You are the lambs of God. And God acts in your behalf this morning. And you can be lion and you can be lamb. For the people of this world will fear your roar in your hand. But those lambs that God has given you, they will always trust your hand to be close to their face. Always. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Well, Jesus, I thank you for imagination. And I see you both as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God slain from the foundations of this world. And I pray right now, especially, especially, Lord, for those who need to know that you're the lion. Maybe they weren't protected as a child. Maybe there was a scar in their life. Maybe there's a scar in their life today. When they were just a lamb, they were like that little boy that I played with in the store this week. He's just a lamb. Sometimes cubs can be annoying, but they're entrusted to us to grow in grace and when they needed a lion all they had was lambs that ran from trouble rather than run to protect them and Lord I pray for those of us this morning that need to know because we've seen so many lions We've struggled to provide for ourselves. We've struggled to provide for our families. Lord, our imaginations have taken us sometimes into the only place that we can find any measure of happiness into senseless movies, lustful thoughts. And this morning we know we need a lamb. I pray that they'll see you as the one who took all of their sins upon themselves, upon yourself. So I'm going to ask you all to join me in prayer. You can use this prayer to commit your life to Christ. You can use this prayer this morning, some of you, to begin to grow in grace. You can use this prayer this morning to have an imagination that is set free and to live in the resurrection power that Christ has for you. So would you pray out loud right after me this morning? Say, so, dear Heavenly Father, 
Come on, stand with me. Let's pray. Wake up. Come on, stand up. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Lion of Judah. I thank you for protecting me and bringing me to this place. And I thank you that you will always be my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. No weapon formed against me will ever prosper. But I thank you for being the Lamb. And in the name of Jesus, I bow before you, Lamb of God. Thank you for taking my sins to the cross of Calvary and shedding your blood for me. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to live for your glory, Lamb of God. Now I pray, help me to be both lion and lamb where I need to be. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, somebody say, come on, victory with me this morning. Come on, victory. He's lion and lamb. Amen? Well, God, I ask your presence to be so real to us wherever we go. Even when we don't feel it, help us to remember. God, you are there, lion and lamb. You are there when we go to bed. You are there through the night. You are there when we wake up and go to work or go to school. Lord, your presence will help us to accomplish all that you have meant for us to accomplish. The jackals of hell fear us because you are lion and lamb. Lord, the demons of hell fear us because we are in Christ. So today, send us forth in your holy presence. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. I love you. I love you. God bless you. Have a great day.